Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. When Jesus came into Matthew 21, he came into the temple, and many of us know this scene. He cleansed the temple out. He overturned money changers, and he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And this is important because we've been really redefining or, or just addressing some of our misconceptions when it comes to prayer. We think we're a house of prayer maybe because we form a prayer language, which is great, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, we're not a house of prayer simply because it's a core value. Like, that's great. We should say we value prayer. But Jesus had an expectation of what, what should be happening in the house. And a house of prayer, what we find is when he drives all this stuff out, he's the one left in the temple. And so the simplest way to define it is a house of prayer is a house of communion. It's a house of fellowship. It's a house of intimacy. It's a house that is centered on the presence of the Lord. And let me tell you, this is good news. Because this means God does not want to live at a distance with us. It means God is not interested in being a distant deity in our lives. God's not interested in just being a concept. He says, I want this to be a house of prayer because I want to commune with you. God didn't die for 60 minutes and 20 bucks of our week. It's so much greater than this. It's so much greater than this. And I just feel like we've sold short people of what it's about when he says, man, this is about me dwelling with my people, me resting with my people. And I want us to set our vision a little bit higher on what God's after and what we're tapping into as a body. Jesus, Jesus said this, he, when he said, he said, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer. And I feel every time I kind of go back through this, there's fresh things that the Lord reveals and shows me. And when Jesus said house of prayer, that's an expression that was actually used quite often throughout scriptures, but with different things. For example, we've been studying the tabernacle of David, or you have the tabernacle of Moses, or you have uh, the house of the Lord. And, and the, 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 the point I want to make is that that expression speaks to what or who is building the house. It's very simple. So when it says the tabernacle of David, it means that David is the one who, who is associated with building that tent, Right? But when Jesus says, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, what he's saying is prayer is what builds my house. He's saying communion, intimacy, fellowship with me is actually the very substance that will build this house. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. In other words, God has a specific purpose and plan for how we should be building. And the idea is that we can actually be laboring we can actually be building, we could actually be growing, we could actually be extending things, but before the Lord, he says it's in vain. He says, actually, before me, it's useless. It doesn't have kingdom substance to it. And so what we've been doing is going on a journey, because I believe the Lord says, the way I want to build my house, and especially here, is I want it to be built by a house of intimacy, a house of prayer. And if we do that, life will just come and hit, hit our body, and it already is. And I believe, like, this is what so deeply in my heart, I believe this is what God is addressing in America, is that we have been houses built by so many other things, houses of entertainment, houses of personality, houses of gifting, all of these things are what we've been building. This is what we've been winning people with, but it hasn't been houses of prayer. 
Like we can walk in and our first thing is we notice like what denomination it is or man, what a talented speaker. We notice all these things when really when people walk in is how recognizable is Jesus in our midst? And that's what I want. <laughs> even the good things, even the biblical things, houses of community, house of preaching, these are all biblical things that need to happen. But at the end of the day, it's meant to be marked by Jesus here. So that's where we've been. That's how we're going to be known. And, uh, and today we're going to spend our final week just unpacking this further, looking at David's tabernacle. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And I really want you to see this. So if you're able, whether it's on your phone, a Bible that you have in your hand, I really want you to turn here to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And this is where we're going to start. I'll give you guys a second. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Final week on the house of prayer. So our, our, our primary scripture is going to be Psalm 132 today, but this is where we're going to start. This is going to be our launching pad. I feel that today, I shared a few weeks ago or two weeks ago in our last message that these last two weeks I felt were most important for, for at least for this time uh, with respect to what we're, what we're building here, this house of prayer. And today especially, I so feel the Lord on what we're getting into. So we're, gonna, we're just going to preach for a few minutes and then I want to have some ministry time because I just think this is so important that we respond to the word today. And I, I want us to set our, our vision on something uh, something bigger than just living for our own life. I want us to see ultimately what God is after. And that's a, that's a question I want to just put before you. Like, what, what is God's true desire? What is he really after? What's his big vision? What's, his, what's the big picture? What does he want? And I feel that in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, it's one of these uh, great, like, just snippets where you get these summary statements of what God is really after, Right? And so in Ephesians chapter 1, you have Paul who's basically, he's kind of revealing how God has these deep desires in his heart that were set before the foundation of the world for adoption, for redemption, and how Christ is the centerpiece of all of this. And then he comes into this one verse right here, these two verses, 9 and 10. I want you to see this. Please don't miss this because it's going to lead us into Psalm 132. It says this. Paul says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Okay, so Paul is saying God is making known to us the mystery of his will. This is what God wants. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Okay, so God has a mystery. There's a mystery of God's will that he's revealing. It's according to his purpose, and we know that Christ is like the centerpiece of it. He says, as a plan for the fullness of time. So this is where it's all going, right? This is where it's all leading. What is it? He says, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is what he says. He says, there's a mystery of God's will. God has now revealed it. That's the mystery. We now know it. We couldn't know it without God revealing it, but he has. We know that Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the access point. And what is it? That God is ultimately going to unite all things in heaven and on earth, and the two shall become one. And the realm of heaven and earth will actually become one. For what purpose? So that God will dwell with man forever in perfection. This is what, you want to know what God's deepest desire is? This is where it's all going. This is what Jesus prayed. 
He prayed that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and one, heaven and earth becoming one where God dwells with man. You don't get any higher than this. You don't get any better than this. This is what God wants. He wants a dwelling place. He wants a resting place here on earth. (laughs) this This is really, really incredible. It's all leading to a time where there's going to be no barriers, no veils, no obstacles, just us seeing God in his fullness. There's no deeper desire of man's heart to know God and to be fully known by him. Whether or not you recognize it or not, that's at the deepest core, that's what you desire. And God says that's where it's all leading and this is my deepest desire. This is where I am taking it. Do you know that in Revelation chapter 21, do you know how the whole book ends? Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 says that there's a holy city that comes out of heaven unto earth. And this city is prepared as a bride for her husband. It's us. And then it says there's a loud voice that says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And God will dwell with man. And we shall be his people and he shall be our God. Now you're missing that. (laughs) We look at that and, and we think of, man, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't hit us, I feel like, enough. I know it doesn't hit me, that, that God says, you know where it's all ending? I'm going to dwell with you. Like, that's the deepest desire of my heart, that, that what sin has, has crushed, Jesus has crushed that, and now we're in this place where we're experiencing it, but there's a fullness of it that is coming. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to be with you. It actually says that God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. Meaning God personally ministering to the cares of his people. This is powerful. And we long for this. God's ultimate dream is this city coming down and heaven and earth, the two becoming one. You know, when I was thinking about this, let me illustrate it this way. Because I just want you to hear this and then we're going to see how Psalm 132 and what David went after so connects to this. Is, um, this, this portion of scripture, Ephesians 1, I believe one of the best ways to illustrate it is to say that when you start talking about a resting place for God on earth, a dwelling place, you start talking God's love language. You say, what do you mean? How many of you have ever read the book Five Love Languages? Man, not many. You guys got to get on that. <laughs> it's a great book, and uh, it basically talks about how we all have different love languages, right? Quality, time, acts of service, words of affirmation, um, I don't know, physical touch. There's a few different things. So for me, for me, it's words of affirmation and, and uh, gifts. I love gifts. Holidays are coming up. <laughs> Just going to throw it out there. I love gifts. <laughs> but, but more than anything, a word of affirmation. If you come up to me at the right time and give a sincere, wholehearted, like pure word of encouragement to me, nothing like touches my heart than that. <laughs> It does something to me. It awakens something in my heart because you're speaking my love language. You're, you're, th- there's something that that word just, man, it just so hits me hard. And I want you to know that when you start getting a people that start talking about God dwelling on earth, when you start talking about a people who say, God, we're after you resting upon us, you start tapping into God's love language. You start tapping into the deepest desire of his heart. This is Ephesians 1. This is where it's all going. And he says, man, these people are after what I desire. And therefore, I'm going to respond. You attract the manifest presence of God when you go after this. Like there's something about it. We can 
built on all these other things, but when he starts seeing a people that say, no, we're after this one thing, you dwelling with us in increasing measure, you resting upon us, God says, this is my desire, and I'm going to come. And all of a sudden what happens is the future reality of what we're longing for starts breaking forth into our present. The veil starts thinning. This is the essence of revival. God starts manifesting in our midst because he says, this is what I long for. And these people are going after what my heart desires more than anything else. Man, this is good, good news. I say this because this is what we're tapping into as a body. Like this is what we're doing in a house of prayers. We're saying, God, more than anything else, we want to create a place. Jesus has purchased this. We'll see this in a moment. But we want you to dwell and rest upon us. And I believe, like I want to encourage you to stay faithful to what's happening here. Because God, I know God is going to just so respond to what's happening in this place. And so we need our hearts to be filled with the burning desire of God. And that's, that's really where I want to go today is that David, David made a vow that he would basically lay down his life in order to have, find a dwelling place for God here on earth. And to me, this is why David was set apart. Whether or not David understood this fully, but David started pursuing what is in the very heart of God. David started drilling into what God wants more than anything. And this is why David's leadership and David's David's reign and his kingdom was set apart from every other one. So I want you to turn with me now to, to Psalm 132. And this will be our primary text. And I want you to see this, Psalm 132. I really hope you're just awakened to this. Look, there's so many things. I get it. We all have different professions and jobs. But I pray that this, what we're talking about, this would be the primary thing that marks your life. That, that we would, that we would, man, when a people start prioritizing God's deepest desire, there is a grace that hits that body. And I'm saying this to just build your heart of expectation of what's going to happen here. And no matter, this isn't for like a pastor or worship leaders. This is the body. This is for all of us. Honestly, if anything, David was more of a businessman than anything else. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't a priest. <laughs> but, but God used him in a powerful way. So whoever you are, like God wants this vow to mark your life. Is everyone there? Psalm 132. This is the vow that David makes that so connects to Ephesians 1 and Revelation where it's all going. We're going to see that David's going to make a vow to find God a resting place, a dwelling place here on earth. I believe that you could make the case. Um, well, let me say this. I believe that one of the ways you can title this is that this is the vow that changed history. I mean, think about all that we've shared over these last few weeks. It really all connects to this desire that we're going to see in David's heart. And I believe that you could make a strong case and argue that out of the 150 psalms that we have, this psalm is the most important. Why? Because we shared in weeks past that through David's tabernacle, the majority of the psalms that we have were birthed because of David's tabernacle. And this psalm is what ultimately led to David creating a space that would lead to all the other psalms being birthed. Like there's something about what's written in here that really moves the heart of God. I want, you to, I want you to get this. David, David, how many of you know David's known as a man after God's own heart? And when we say that, I mean, this is an incredible statement. When we say that, we often think of, or I do at least, I think of David's battle with Goliath, right? An incredible uh, scene. We teach it to our youth, but there's so much more than just a ch children's story, but it's a powerful story. We think of David's perseverance um, under, the, under the leadership of Saul, how David would persevere. He was in caves and he overcame that and responded in, with, uh, with love rather than being critical. There's all these things that we think about with David's life. But ultimately, I believe what sets David apart, 
What made David a man after God's own heart? More than anything else, it's this vow that we're reading right here. This is the thing that, that, that like, put David in a different category, is what he pursued, because it's what God wants more than anything else. Do you know in Acts 13, I believe it's verse 36, it's, it says an incredible statement about David, that I want to be said about my life in this church body. It says that David, when they recall David's life, it said David served all of God's purposes for his generation. That's an incredible statement. It says David served all of God's purposes for his generation. Why is that important? Two things. Number one, you know what that tells me? God has purposes for a generation. God has a purpose for your life. Personally, he has purposes for us as a, as a corporate body. He has a purpose for this community, for this generation. And I believe, honestly, it's so connected to this vow that God is saying this is what he's doing here. And here's the second thing is that when David found out what God was doing in his generation, David completely abandoned himself to that thing. It's as if David says, wait a minute, Lord, this is what you want to do? You, you want to be in the midst of your people? You want to rest here? You want to dwell here? Well, then I give myself over completely to seeing this thing take place. I'll do whatever it takes, God. David... David did not stay on the outer fringes once he found out what God was doing. He didn't tiptoe around and say, wow, God, you're, you're really moving here. You're resting and dwelling. you got a people going after it. I'll like kind of be in it, but not really. David said, wait, God, if you're after dwelling in the midst of your people, if you're after resting upon your people, then here's my life to that. And I'm saying this because I feel God is marking us with this same vow. And I do not want anyone, like we shared two weeks ago, on the outside just tiptoeing in. I want to encourage you to give your life to this thing. To live for something bigger than self, as we're going to see with David. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to see the things that God talks about. I, you know, sometimes, you know what happens? We play in the kiddie pool, but we convince ourselves we're in the deep end. It looks like something. It looks like something when God starts manifesting in a place where geographical regions become marked by his glory. And this is what we're saying. We're saying, God, come. God, come. I was reading a story recently by um, Charles Finney. Man, I encourage you, read books like Revival Fire. It talks about all the history of revivals and what has happened. And the point I just want to make is sometimes it's just like, you know, yeah, God's dwelling while he's resting. Jesus opened the, you know, Jesus did this. But man, no, it looks like someone God like really comes. And, uh, and Charles Finney was talking about how, I think it was like a gin factory that he went into. And he walked into this factory. Now God was moving mightily upon the people. And he walked into this factory and two women saw him when he walked in. And the one started to weep, uh, or, or uh, I should say the one, one started to laugh and the other one started to cry and actually tremble. And... Um, he, as he, he came in closer, he walked closer to the one that was trembling and it, and it kind of intensified to the point that she actually just kind of fell on the ground and broke under the power of God. The last thing he remembered is that when he got really close, he just looked at her and that was it. She just fell. The presence of God was so strong. And within a few minutes, it actually went through this entire gin factory. Everyone fell on their knees under the weight of God's glory. The, the factory owner actually shut the factory down. This happened without Charles Finney ever saying a word without ever saying a word. And then once everyone was on their knees before the Lord, then God said, now preach the gospel. And he said when he preached it, it was like a hammer just coming to the hearts of people, just breaking hardness. Like, I want to encourage you, it looks like something when God moves. And, and we, we celebrate the small cloud. We celebrate what we're seeing. But man, we're pressing into what we know is out there. There is so, so much more. 
And so I just, I just want to invite you that God is calling us to, to be marked by this, meaning to give ourselves away to the same thing. And David, David, because he did this, because David tapped into the God's deepest desire to dwell and rest on earth, David's leadership was set apart. He became the standard for every king. And as I shared before, Jesus Christ himself is said to sit on the throne of David. He actually came to fulfill what David had started. There's something that we need to learn about David's life. So let's look at, at verse 1 here. Um, this is how we're going to read this. There's, um, this is the vow that David makes before the Lord. And there's ultimately, there's really uh, two sections I want to read. David's going to make a vow before God. And then at the very end, God actually vows, makes a vow back to David because of this vow. And that's like the beautiful part is we see what God says I'm going to do because of what you're doing. And in between, this, this, uh, this psalm is probably written by Solomon. Many believe that. It's David's son. David had actually died. But, but we know that this, was, uh, this, this, this vow deeply marked his life. And so what we're going to see is in between, there's a lot of commentary that Solomon uh, provides. I'm not going to read that. We're just going to look at the opening few verses. David's vow to God, and then look at the last few verses, which is God's vow back to David, all right? So here we go. Starting in verse 1, this is Solomon. David's dead. Now he's appealing to God to move in his generation as he did with his father, and look what he says. He says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. Why was he afflicted? Verse 2, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Listen to this. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. Verse 5, why? Here it is. Until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David's very vow is exactly what is said in Ephesians, is exactly what we're going to see in Revelation. He says, Lord, here's what I give my life away that you would have a place to dwell and rest here on earth. Now, I want you to just consider this for a moment. Solomon, he is the wisest man outside of Christ who walked on this earth. He has all wisdom, and he knows that he, or he desires for God to move in his generation and under his leadership as, as he has in the past. And all of Solomon's wisdom led him to one thing. His appeal before God is to recall the life of his father. Like you would think, what would he go before God to say, God, this is, this is how, you know, I, I bring this up to you so that you move again. What Solomon does is he says, I know, God, that there was something on the life of my father. I know there's something that moved your heart when you saw him. And therefore, God, I say, remember David. Th this is a sobering thought. But David's life, the man, all of his afflictions, all of his trials, all of his hardships, his, his vision, his vow, all that David is forever lives in the heart of God and before God. It's an amazing thought to consider that us as mere human beings can impact the eternal, infinite God. David's life so impacted God that Solomon knew in all of his wisdom that if he wanted God to move in his generation, his number one trump card was to say the name David. Solomon knew if I want to get God to move, I say David because it moves the heart of God. He knew that there was something that David's life did that so stirred and moved God. And I want to encourage you 
Man, when I, when, I was, when I just was going through this, I was sharing my wife, it was even hard not to like get emotional that I want this to be said about my life. I want this to be said about your life. I want this to be said about our church, that when my kids and my grandkids and I pass from this life and if the Lord doesn't return, I want them to be able to come before God and say, Lord, remember Andrew. Remember the life he lived. Remember the vow that he made. He gave his life away for the very thing that you desire more than anything. And God is not calling, like, this isn't for a select few. Some say, yeah, but Pastor, this is David. Do you know David? <laughs> David's life was marked by shortcomings. It was marked by failures. <laughs> he, had, he had real sin in his life. Are we belittling that? Are we not treating that serious? Not at all. But what we do know is that David refused to allow himself to be disqualified because of those things. David got up again. And he would bring his heart before the Lord and say, God, here I am again. I'm not going to be swerved from what you've placed in my heart. No matter how many times I fail, I'm getting back up and I'm pursuing this thing. And all of us are being invited in to set our hearts on something bigger than living for self, as David did. And David's vow, his life work, look at verse 5, just so we see it clearly. What is it? He says, here's his vow. He says, until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So his life work, his vow, like what he was after more than anything else is that God would have a dwelling place. Later on in the same psalm, it's called a resting place. Probably uses the same words. And I want you to understand this, is that God, God has an eternal dwelling place. He has a throne room. Revelation 4, 5, we spoke through this, which means God dwells in heaven. He has a home. What is David saying? David's saying, God, the same way you dwell in heaven, I want you to dwell on earth that way. The exact way that you just rule, everyone recognizes who you are. God, I want that to break through here on earth. That's what David is pursuing. David knew, God, I want to create a place here on earth in my city where your purposes, your power, your glory, like your purity, your holiness just manifest among your people in an unusual way for an extended period of time. Like that's, that's what he was after. He recognized there's nothing, like if this thing, if we get this thing right, everything else starts falling into place. Everything else. That's what we're doing here. You say, wow, man, we've kind of locked into one thing, worshiping and praying before God. This is what David did. Yeah, this is why. Because when this stuff starts happening and God really, God, God comes in, in a greater measure upon our lives, listen, stuff that I, I could preach for hours, it'll never touch someone's heart. God shows up, it's like Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst an unclean people. The moment his presence comes, it, it could be a number of things. God shows up and everything starts changing like that. Everything starts changing. Do you remember, do you remember the story I shared a few weeks ago about uh, Ahio and Uzzah trying to carry the uh, Ark of the Covenant in on that new cart? It's how David first tried to bring the Ark in. And long story short, the, the oxen stumble that were pulling the cart. The Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, actually falls out and Uzzah grabs it and he dies. But here, here's the thing is that the ark from there goes into a man's house by the name of Obed-Edom. First Chronicles 13. And it goes into Obed-Edom's house for three months. And you know what it says? It's like two verses. It says in Obed-Edom, everyone in his household and every item of his house was blessed. Why? Because the ark was resting there. The ark was dwelling there. When God came and rested in this man's house, it's a picture of everything around, every person. Every person was blessed by that. And so look, David ultimately, David fulfills this vow in the tabernacle that he builds. It's actually right in scripture. 
You don't need to turn there, but you can mark this down and go read it for yourself. First Chronicles chapter 6, verse 31. David says he brings the ark into the house of the Lord, which was his tent. And it says this in, in verse 31 of chapter 6, and it says, and the ark rested there. The ark rested there, meaning God's presence, that's what it's symbolic of, rested in this tabernacle. And this is what we've been after the last few weeks is David then set up this worship prayer before the Lord as the ark rested in this tabernacle. Now here's the beauty, is what David set up, there was limitation. It's old covenant. What Jesus does is opens a door for something even greater. Jesus is the fulfillment of David's leadership. Meaning, what David vowed, what David went after to say, God, I pray that you would dwell and rest here. Jesus ultimately fulfills that. How? John chapter 1, verse 32, Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon Jesus and rests upon him. Jesus was the tabernacle that dwelt among us and the Holy Spirit rested on him. Why is that important? Because that means that the gospel message of grace says that Jesus' blood is so sufficient and so worthy that when you yield your life to Christ, right now you are a dwelling place and a resting place for God. Right now, God is dwelling in you and resting upon you. It's an incredible thing. His blood is so worthy. It's so sufficient. It has thoroughly cleansed you, washed you, justified you, that God's presence now can be upon you as we speak. Sometimes we just need to be awakened to that reality. But here's, here's the key, is that what happens is we say, well, it, Jesus did it, so it's done. No, no. Now it's called stewardship. Stewardship. And what that means is we begin to steward what Jesus has made available. How? By yielding our lives, by the decisions that we make, we can actually see Jesus now resting upon us in greater and greater and greater measure. And what David longed for but had still a limitation, we get to see in our epoch, in our era, in the generation that we live in. We can see stuff that David only longed for. It's an incredible thing to think about. The Bible says it this way, or one of the ways, it says growing in grace. You grow in grace, the empowering presence of God in your life. You can actually grow in it. It doesn't mean you earn it. It means that you're actually growing in what Christ has made available. It's all finished, but you can actually steward this and see God more and more resting upon you. Acts 4.33 says the apostles moved with great power because great grace was upon them. Great grace was upon them. Something about their lives they carried something. They walked with something. I believe it's because they were committed to this very thing that David was committed to. And I, man, I, here, here's, here's, here's the point of all this, is I believe we need to avoid definitions of breakthrough and revival that place zero demand upon our life. It's very important. Because a lot of times I can say, man, God, revive this, revive that. It's all talk. It's all language. But what we're going to see is David in this, in this vow, we're going to see there's a personal cost and demand upon David's life. And when he yielded to that, he found actually what his heart always longed for. See, that's the thing is that these things pull on us to not dive into this, but in actuality, those things can never take us to the place of satisfaction and seeing God just come like, like glory come upon a people. It's actually what we're made for. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that means? You were created to experience the glory realm of God. But sin caused us to fall short. Now as we behold the Lord, we are being transformed into that degree of glory. Into that glory from one degree to another. It's actually what our hearts long for more than anything else. 
And it's why, you know, you say practically, well, how do I steward this? It's why I think worship and prayer and what we're doing is so essential. Because God, God didn't just rest in the ark of, uh, in David's tabernacle simply because he placed it there, but it's because of what he surrounded it with, which is the worship prayer. And I believe it's one of the ways we steward this, that Jesus has caused God to rest and dwell with us, on us. But one of the ways we see God move in greater measures is by doing what David did, stewarding it through worship and prayer. You say, why? Why is that? Because God will not rest where he is resisted. He resists the proud but draws near to the humble. And so we can positionally have Christ in us. He's with us. But there's a measure where we will see him come in, great, in like a greater capacity when we humble ourselves. And worship and prayer at the heart of it, it's actually us. We're not resisting God anymore. We're coming to agreement with who God is. In worship, we're agreeing with who he is, what he's done. In prayer, we're agreeing with his will, what he wants to do. And so what David did is he set up a space where people started through worship and prayer agreeing with who God is, what he's done, what he desires, what he's going to do, and God says, well, I'm welcomed and invited in this place. I'm coming even more. This is what we're doing on Tuesdays, Fridays, and soon to be every day is we're, we're coming into agreement with God's leadership. We're humbling ourselves, and God says, man, I'm, I'm invited here. I'm welcomed here. I'm coming in greater measure. All right, so let's look at verse 3 and 4 of this, this opening few verses. I want you to see this. Talk about we can't... We can't uh, we have to avoid definitions of breakthrough revival that, that place zero demand. I just want you to see this. I want you to see what oftentimes has held me back from pursuing this. I fluctuate with this. And, uh, and at the end of this, I want us to pray. Man, if you feel like you're battling these things as I, as I do, let's pray for God to really, really um, help us to, to just lay ourselves down for what, he's, for what he's doing, what David said. Look what he says. He says, surely, verse 3. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids. Now listen to me. David literally went into his house. David would literally go to bed. Okay? So what's he saying? Let, let, me, let me, can I put this in contemporary terms? If David was here today, we need to hear this. And these things can sting our hearts. It stings my heart. But what David's really doing, modern day language, he's openly waging war in the American dream. What he's saying is I don't live for the God of comfort anymore. I don't live for personal ease. I don't live for my own little life anymore. I don't live to be noticed. I don't live for a platform. I don't live just to see my little life prosper. I will put all of those things aside so that I can see God move because I know this is the most important thing. And it's the deepest desire of God's heart. And I know that my heart will actually be most satisfied when I see him move this way. Like we, if this life is like this, why would we set our, set our sights on anything less than what God desires, where it's all actually leading? It doesn't mean we don't work. It doesn't mean we don't do those things. But it means in all of that context, it's for a greater purpose. And this is what David's saying. Man, David embraced the cost. He said, I won't enter my house. You know what that means? His house is his palace. His palace is where his throne is. His throne is his kingdom and his ministry. In other words, he's saying, my, my ministry, I put it aside. My marketplace assignment, I put it aside. My career, thank you for it, Lord, it's secondary to this. It's all secondary. God, if no one ever knows my name, I'll put my personal kingdom aside for this thing. 
This is like the cost. And this is why many say, well, I'll just, well, I'm content. We'll go to heaven. That's fine. But I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm, I want to see something more. <laughs> like, I'm thankful for the salvation here and there, but read the stories of when God comes and you see waves of people just get hit by God's presence coming. This is the stuff that we're talking about. This is what David was seeing, complete revival in his time. And we have greater access than he did. David locked into something bigger than living for personal promotion, calling, finances. Do you know David, I, I told you how he employed a staff of 10,000 to come around the ark. He was so committed to God resting and moving that he said, we're going to worship and pray 24-7. I'm going to hire 10,000 people. He said they didn't have to work any other jobs. I was just playing around with some numbers. On a modern-day currency, 10,000 people for 33 years, that's how long this lasted, which speaks to Jesus. It all points to him. It would cost about $20 billion in payroll. Now, now just consider this, because we say, man, God, move, God, move. But David said, God, move, and said, God, here's everything. Right? This is what it looks like. And I can tell you this, that myself included, Imagine if I came forward and said, guys, man, God's like really doing something in these few meetings. And all of a sudden we have access to 10,000 people. We've got lots of money. And say, guys, I feel like God's saying for the next few decades, the next 30 years, we're just going to really commit to this thing. And, uh, but here's the deal. It's going to cost about $20 billion just to pay for them to be there. Come on, we'd say that's foolish, Andrew. That's a poor steward of your resources, like that, but David said, no, no, no. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the things will be added unto you. This is like really living this thing out. That's what he was going for. He gave up sleep. He gave up personal comfort. I feel in my own life, many times I draw back from this because I say, God, I, I, I love you, Jesus, but I, don't disturb my life. Like I really got something good going on here and I love that you're around. I love that you saved me, but just kind of stay on the outside. Don't really come in where it's starting to, to actually disrupt what I'm trying to build here. And again, I just can't highlight enough that what he's leading us into is actually what our hearts long for. It's actually what our hearts long for. All right, real quick, turn with me to uh, Psalm 69. I just want to share something, then we're going to finish out with God's vow. Back to David. Psalm 69. Keep your spot in, in Psalm 132. Are you guys with me? Are you following me? I really want to provoke your heart for where, where we're going as a body. You know, you know, this is amazing. Here's a scripture I encourage you to read this week. Haggai chapter 1. Everything I just shared, it's the complete opposite in Haggai. What happened was is when the people of God came out of captivity, they said, they said this. The Lord came to them through Haggai and it said, you say that it's not a good time to build the Lord's house. He says, but you live in nice panel homes. And, he, and the Lord actually says, but here's what's happening. He says, you sow much, but you harvest little. He says, you, you continually eat, but you never have your fill. You continually work, but it's like there's, there's holes in your pocket. And what he's really getting at is he's saying, guys, you've prioritized living for your own life, and you've lost the, the necessity of me being at the center of everything. And as a result, it feels like you never have enough. Even when you do, you feel like you're still lacking. It's the complete opposite. We're actually, we're going to see what God promises to David is, is amazing. It's the complete reversal of it. But look at Psalm 69. I want you to look at verses 8 to 12 real quick. I'm just trying to highlight some of the afflictions David endured. 
to understand the demand that can come with this and to not, to not waver when these things, when you experience these things in my own life, like let's continue to push through. And as Solomon said in verse one, he said, David endured many afflictions. Well, here's another portion of scripture. We see David enduring afflictions because of the vow and his zeal for God's house. In fact, these few verses describe David's afflictions because of his zeal for God's house and the lifestyle that accompanied seeing God dwell in the midst of his people. And I want you to see this is amazing. Look at verse eight, Psalm 69. He says, I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Verse nine, why? For zeal for your house has consumed me and the reproaches of those who approach you have fallen on me. Wow. David says, God, I am literally disowned from my own family. My brothers treat me as strangers. It's like I'm a foreigner, I'm an alien. Why? Because of zeal for your house. Because I'm so committed to this thing, my own brothers have disowned me. My own brothers have cast me aside, saying this guy is off the charts, he's lost his mind, David is just after this one thing, man, this guy, he's not even part of this family anymore. In, in 1 Samuel 17, 28, when David came up to the battle of Goliath, his brothers, they came against him. They said, you're prideful and you're delusional. It's probably the things that David was bearing from a young age because of his zeal for God and the zeal that he had for God's house. And look what it says moving forward, verse 10. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. Wow. David says, God, I have such zeal for your house. And because of that, my own brothers disowned me. And because of my zeal, I live a lifestyle of fasting. And because of that, I receive disapproval and disappointment from those close to me and those around me. Meaning when David passes by, people say, look at this guy. Who does he think he is? Probably in our modern day, he'd say, look at him, he's a holy roller, fasting. What does he think he's gonna accomplish? He's just starving himself. He's doing absolutely nothing. It says it became my reproach. Verse 11, when I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. This is all the result because of David's zeal for the house of God. He said, when sackcloth became my clothing, I was a byword. What does that mean? Sackcloth is, is connected with mourning. Meaning when everyone was content to go about normal, the normalcy of life and said, this is just fine. David said, wait a minute. God's not dwelling in our midst. God's not resting upon our people. We need God back at the center of this. And when David began to enter into a lifestyle of fasting and mourning and crying out, he became a byword to this people. In other words, he became a laughing stock. He became a joke. They said, David, what, what, is, what do you think you're going to do with your life? Who do you think you are? David wouldn't join in. He was set on something else, but he would not allow these things to swerve him, to swerve him from continuing to pursue this. And then he said in verse 12, look at this, I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate. That's the political and religious leaders of the day. So David says they gossip about me. They slander my name. As I walk around, they probably say, there's poor little David boy in his pipe dreams sitting on the backside of Bethlehem, thinking God's somehow gonna move amongst his people. Like David should just give this up. Like his religious leaders are saying, if God's gonna move, they'll speak to us, David. Who do you think you are? You need to just take, take a back seat. <laughs> and then it says this, and the drunkards, look at this, verse 12, and the drunkards make songs about me. 
The drunkards were making songs about David. Those living that would dwell in the tavern, drinking, they looked at David's life and said, he's completely living for something that's just off. And they actually sang songs to mock David because of what he was pursuing. And David became the standard of all kings. And David became, became the, the key piece of what, what happened when revival would come in the Old Testament, as we shared a few weeks ago. And what we see here is, a, is just a glimpse of the process David had to go, to go through before the breakthrough. Like we could say, oh, God, move, God, move. But listen, this is what it looks like sometimes. And it's us being willing to be faithful through this to really yield our lives to it. And I find that oftentimes in my own life, I have a tendency to draw back because of fear of criticism from those within the church, with my own family. But David said, no, no, I'm going for this. I'm gonna keep moving forward. So we'll close right here. Actually, we can have the worship team come up. I want you to go back to Psalm 132. I'm just gonna read these last few verses. It's God's vow back to David. Psalm 132, verse 14. Psalm 132, we're going to look at verse 14 and close right here. And I really want you guys to see this, so turn with me there so you you catch this. Because this to me is the key. Psalm 132, verse 14. David has made a vow before the Lord that he would give his life away to seeing God rest and dwell amongst his people. Jesus has opened a door that David never had access to. How much more should we come under this same vow? And when David makes this vow for God to rest, God responds and says, David, I am gonna come and rest upon you and your people. And when I come, here's what's going to happen. And he actually gives the language of making a vow in verse 11, but just to kind of get into the actual content of it, I'm going to skip down to verse 14. And I want you to see this, because many of us in my own life, these are the things I want to see, these things I chase after, and it's really simple. If we make him center, these things follow. And look what he says. This is God speaking to David. He says, this is my resting place forever. This is Zion he's speaking about. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. Why? For I have desired it. See, David knew when he, when he started tapping into creating a dwelling place for God that he wasn't twisting the arm of God. He knew God already desired this. He knew he just needed to make himself available and commit to it and God was coming because God wants us more than anything else. God says, I've desired this. And look at verse 15. I will abundantly bless her provision. (laughs) I will abundantly bless her provision. That means where there was lack, where there was scarcity, God says there's going to be provision now. Apply in any realm you want. Spiritually, physically, God says now there's going to be provision here. I'm going to supply. There's going to be a wealth, an abundance of my provision. He says I will satisfy her poor with bread satisfaction comes when in the places where God rests and dwells, meaning where there, was, where there was lack, where there was emptiness, where there was aching, where there was just felt like a dullness and a staleness, God says, you're going to find hearts satisfied in this place. 
Just commit yourselves to this, David. Don't worry about what everyone else says. Let the children run. Let them run. Except not in the street. Not in the street, Kai. He says, Lord, when the Lord says to David, David, you committed yourself here, satisfaction is going to come upon hearts here. Everything you've been longing for, you're going to find because it's all found in me. He's the chiefest among 10,000. Anything you want to compare to him, he's better than it. <laughs> Anything. And then it says, oh, I love this. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. Oh, we're praying for our lost loved ones. We're saying, God, how do I see my son, my husband, whatever it may be? Have God rest upon you and in your household. Commit to coming before the Lord and worship and prayer and stay committed. And say, God, there's one thing I need. You rest here. And God says, waywardness will go. Rebellion will go. Salvation will be a mark of this house. Lostness is gone. People are found. He then says, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. <laughs> Depression goes. Sadness goes. Hopelessness goes. God says, joy will come upon my people. Verse 17, it just keeps going. He says, there I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. That's an imagery of power, anointing. My goodness, we could, we could preach messages on each of these things. The anointing of God in a place, it's what sets people free. It's what, it's what breaks the bondage, the, 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 the bondage that people walk into. Like not gifting the anointing. He says there'll be a lamp. It means you'll be a burning light. What's that? Holiness, purity, godliness. You'll be like a city on a hill set apart. All because I'm resting here. Verse 18, he finally concludes by saying, His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. What does that mean? Vindication. Oh, you don't understand. People talk about me or their spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. God says, just pursue this. Pursue me and have me rest. And watch how when you come out of these places, things that you were going after, things you thought you have to fight, they'll just be worked out. I'll be your vindicator. I'll be your protector. Guys, this is, this is Jesus' command. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Like Jesus said that to the believers who were, who were stressing about what to eat, what to drink, what to wear. And he says, guys, don't do that. He says, that's what people do who don't know your father. Yeah. But you know him. Look at, the, look at the, uh, the lilies of the field. Look at the birds in the trees. They don't stress about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. Are you not more valuable than them? Seek first his kingdom. It's so simple, yet it can be so hard. It becomes almost offensive because I also want to say what I contributed to it. But God says, just yield your life to me. And watch all these things come. And guys, this is what, this is what we're tapping into as a body. And we're going to see all these things that God vowed back more and more and more and more. So let's stay faithful to what we're doing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I recognize everyone's schedules can be different and there's young ones. So I understand uh, if people, if you need to, by all means, you need to grab your kids. That's totally fine. Or even if you want to bring them out here. But being that this is the last 
uh, message in this series, and this is so critical to what we're doing. I wanted to take time to really uh, have some ministry today. So I'm gonna ask Don, if Don can come forward. You've got the baby, it's okay, but if you can. Pastor Crystal, can you come forward or you have a baby too? She's got a baby. Come on, Pat, Pat and Diane, can you come up? Man, I just want our heart so stirred for this, guys. I, I, I can't, sometimes it's hard to put into words, so I just find myself repeating. But I'm, I'm just gripped by what God's doing and where this is going. And I just want to invite you to, uh, to take a step of faith and to say, Lord, I want, my, I want my life marked by this vow. Psalm 132, God, help me to not live for my own life anymore. Help me to trust that what you have for me is better. Like if you feel you're in a rut, stale, or you feel like you're going for this, please say, Lord, I know there's more. I just, there's a power in laying on of hands. And as we're worshiping, I'm just going to ask you to come forward. We'll lay hands on you. We'll pray. Don't worry about waiting in line. Just worship God. And when the opportunity comes, someone will come and pray for you. But you can come forward and let's just pray and seek God and say, God, mark us right now. And I believe we can have some beautiful God encounters. So you're, you're more than welcome to come forward as we begin to worship. on. David, David fulfilled all of God's purposes for his generation. The Lord is coming back. <laughs> oh, we're going to go to him first, but either way, we're going to find out that this life is here and gone tomorrow. And why not commit ourselves to the very thing where it's leading, to the deepest desire of God's heart. Lord, I even pray right now that you would just move amongst your people. I pray for those that so desire this but just feel stuck. Lord, help us as a people to be marked by this vow. I pray, God, we'd commit ourselves to seeing you rest. I pray, God, that we would see more people come forth to, to get plugged into the spirit of David's tabernacle and what we're doing, Lord. Call out more worshipers more prayer warriors. I pray, God, it wouldn't be just restricted to this body, but may our lot marked at houses of prayer. I pray for households to be houses of prayer. God, that you'd begin to find a people, a people that can't go about business as normal until we see things, until we see the things in the scriptures, Lord. I pray you'd wound us, God, by giving us a taste, a foretaste of what is to come, that we would be hungry. Release a hunger today, God. A hunger in your people, O oh Lord. And you're not going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna stay right here. I'm just gonna wait here. You're not going anywhere, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm just gonna stay right here. I'm just gonna wait here. I am yours and you are mine. 
Deeper hunger, Lord. I yes. 